Hello and welcome back to the Eclipse Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and I'm joined by Blake Harris, also of Eclipse Nation. Uh, I assumed we would be in a better mood when we were talking about this game, you know, around like 1.30, but that did not prove to be the case. <laughs> As the Clippers lost 135-133 to the Mavericks, I'm sure you've seen the Luka shot by now. If you haven't, really, what are you doing with your time and how are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> um, Blake... What is the first thing that stood out to you from that game today? Uh, the fact that Luka Doncic may be the best player in the NBA by as soon as next year. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, com- coming into, you know, his draft, we heard good things about him and what he was doing over there in Europe. But there was kind of this just uh, – people were hesitant because we have, aside from like Dirk and I guess maybe Porzingis, very little guys have come over here and they've thrived, especially the way. And Luca is just the fact that he's 21 years old and what he's doing already. I mean, he's it was like his first game was like the biggest triple double and like a first game ever. Today was like hit the youngest to ever have a 40 point triple double in the NBA. So Luca, he he's already I think a top 10 player, but as we've seen this series so far, he's about to cement himself as top five, maybe even the best by next year. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I thought that the Clippers were fairly well-suited to defend the Mavericks in this series because they did really well against them during the regular season. They just have these waves of guys to throw at Luka. And I realize that that's different when Patrick Beverly is not available. But you still have Paul George. You still have Kawhi Leonard. You still have Marcus Morris. All of these guys should be able to give Luka difficulty. But he's just so good that I don't think anybody can really stop him. Like, the the purpose of the Clippers defense is no longer let's make Luca bad. It's all right. Luca's going to get his, let's make sure nobody else beats us. Right. And that, that's the crazy part too, is like, you know, he's going to get his 30, 40 points. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing I, I never really realized, you know, I always saw the numbers, but numbers can be deceiving how good he is at handling the ball, finding teammates, just somehow finding the open guy. I mean, if he's not scoring the ball on you, He's making sure he finds teammates that are going to do the exact same thing. It's you, you can double team him, you can triple team him, but no matter what you do, he's somehow going to torch you. And he, he did that today. He's done it all series, but it, it truly is remarkable what he's been able to do. Yeah, I just, you know, it's fun. The thing about the playoffs where you get to really go in deep on a team that you probably didn't spend much time watching over the course of the regular season. Like I did not watch a ton of the Mavericks beyond like a few national TV games and like when they played the Lakers and the Clippers. And you just don't appreciate how good somebody is on a day-to-day basis until like you watch them four games in a row, just eat up Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And like, how is this happening? <laughs> you know, you don't really, I yeah, don't realize how good they are until they hit like a 30 foot step back three <laughs> at the buzzer to uh, tie the series up. That's how that's how it, it's done. Yeah. It's crazy to think of like the stakes on that one particular shot where if Luca misses that, which I thought he was going to miss it when the shot went up because a lot of his threes had been short. He played 46 minutes on a bum ankle, had been the primary generator of offense the entire game. And it's like, no, I still got enough left in me. I mean, <laughs> that's the drain yeah. this. A few minutes, I, I can't remember if it was in overtime or in the fourth quarter, but he like airballed a three where at that point I was thinking, man, he looks scat. I don't think mm-hmm. he has enough. But then of course the shot goes up and ball game. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an entirely different series, right? The Clippers would have been up 3-1 pretty comfortably in charge of you know getting to the second round and now we're at a best of three where like I feel good about the Clippers chances I still think they're the more talented team I still think they do have the best player regardless of how good Luka was I still think Kawhi owns that title in this series but my goodness like this is not 
the type of series I thought the Clippers would be in. And maybe it's good, you know, they needed to get some reps with their full team together, which unfortunately is still not happening because as we mentioned, Beverly is unavailable still, but whew, it's, it's a lot more nervy than I thought this was going to be. And you know, yeah. Dallas was supposed to be bad in crunch time. Like this was supposed to be their bugaboo all season. And like fourth, fourth quarter wise, I remember they're like 19th in scoring or something. They're not mm-hmm. a good fourth quarter team, but no, you hit it perfectly where if Luke, I mean, which by the way, it's all, like, it wasn't, a, I mean, it's a makeable shot for him. Maybe like Dame Lillard stuff. Most players won't make that shot. So, I mean, no. the Clippers, although you don't want Reggie Jackson on him, you'll live with that as opposed to, like, a shot 10 feet from the rim. But, yeah, if he misses, Clippers are up 3-1. You know, assuming this isn't against Houston in 2015, the Clippers likely win the series up 3-1. <laughs> and they're cruising into the second round now. You know, it's a best-of-three series. Anything can happen, especially now with no home court. It's not like, okay, the Clippers, it's tied. They're coming back to Los Angeles. They have two of three at home. It's an even matchup right now where anything can happen. And, like, this is the first time, even though, you know, they lost game two and it was tied 1-1, game, game three they looked pretty – a little better. But this is the first time at any points I've been a little worried. I've been a little concerned. And that's just because the Mavericks, I think, have been, like, the better team for, like, 70 75% of this series. Cause in game, crazy to think of that. In, in game one, you know, they were leading majority of the way until the Clippers finally took over in game one in the fourth quarter. Game two, that was just, you know, that was awful. Game three, they picked things up kind of near halftime, and then they kind of allowed Dallas to inch their way back in that fourth quarter. And then today, for the most part, aside from that 21-point lead, so I guess from, you know, seven minutes in the second quarter on, Dallas was just the better team. So I, I get, you know, the Clippers don't have Patrick Beverly, Paul George's playoff peak in peak form. Montrezl Harrell hasn't really been performing. Um, I, I get there's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts, but, Again, this was a series I was I, I said at the very least it's gonna be Clippers and five just because they dominated them in the regular season. It looked like they matched up perfectly against the Mavericks. And I said I, I think Dallas gets one, but it's it's a little worrisome now because also the confidence is on Dallas's side. Mm-hmm. They're coming off this crazy win and the Clippers they just seem shot, they seem depleted. So again, the Clippers are the better team. I still think that you know Kawhi is the better player, so it's always gonna have the better player, but it's just still not a situation I thought they'd be in, and it's not a situation I want them to be in at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked Clippers in four just because I thought, you know, if these games got close that the Clippers would be the team to execute down the stretch. And I kind of felt validated up until, like, the final 3.7 seconds today. Uh, right. You know, the Clippers were down by a little bit, but they just kept, you know, making plays, making plays, sent it in overtime, and then Marcus Morris hits that shot. Uh, which is which I hate so much is that that's probably going to be forgotten about, yeah. that clutch three that he hit, because – he struggled so much, you know, the first few months with the Clippers. He kind mm-hmm. of in the bad reputation, and he's been so good for them this playoff great. series. I mean, yeah. you can make the case he's been the second best player, you know, behind Kawhi. I think that's he, true. He hits that clutch three pointer, and like I, I to be honest, I forgot about it until you mentioned it because <laughs> we're just gonna remember that Luca three, and yeah. it's a shame because Marcus Morris he would have been the hero of this game likely for hitting that three, and now it's just forgotten about. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of important things to focus on other than just Luca being Luca. Yeah. Uh, but I want to start with uh, someone we haven't mentioned yet, and that's Doc Rivers. Uh, well, <laughs> one of the things that I thought was really great about game three was that the Clippers made every adjustment you'd want them to make, right? Like they put Shaman in the starting lineup because Reggie Jackson wasn't working. That was, that was genius by his yeah. part. That was a They count. matched up Ivica Zubac's minutes with Boban so that, you know, Boban wouldn't just power through Trez all the time, right? Uh, they cleaned up their defensive coverages a little bit so that they weren't overhelping on Luca and leaving those shooters open. Like they did everything you would want them to do, just like the 
easy little low hanging fruit things, like not like, you know, big, big picture things. It was just, you know, these are the little things that we're getting beaten on. Let's fix it. And it just seemed like Doc kind of went away from all that today. Like obviously Shamit was still in the starting lineup, but Trez played a lot next to Boban, like way more than I expected to happen. And I don't know if Zubat should have his wind or something, but when you know what works, I don't understand the logic and just going back on that. Yeah, I mean, what was it last? I remember it was game two where Zubac only played like 18 minutes. And then, yeah, I think he played like 28 or 29 the last game. I'm looking at it right now, I just went up, got up the box score. 21 minutes. Uh, I mean, in those 21 minutes, he had 15 points, four rebounds. But, I mean, he looked good out there. I mean, every, every minute he's out there, he looks good. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason today, you know, Doc decided to go back to kind of his old tendencies when it worked so well. Like, in game, like everything Doc did in game three – went as well as it could and you're right it just seemed like he kind of reverted back to his old ways when i i i could see if it didn't work the last game and it's like hey it didn't work maybe let's try something else like doc it worked (laughs) they looked like such a better team and for whatever reason today you know when he played 53 minutes and zubak is only playing you know not even half the minutes i i I just don't get it i that i don't understand and but that's the that's not even my worst part with uh, Doc in this entire game. That's number three on the list. All right, but let's I'm, get to number two and one then, Blake. <laughs> my, number, my number two is back in the third quarter when Dallas was on that run, when mm-hmm. the Clippers went eight minutes without making a field goal. I forget what, like, the official run Dallas went. It wasn't as big of a run as I thought. It felt like it was, like, a 24-5 to five run or something like mm-hmm. that, but it wasn't as big, and Doc wouldn't call a timeout. You know, the Clippers had, like, a, a five-, six-point lead, Dallas ties it. They take the lead. They go up four. And Doc's not calling a timeout. And I think it was uh, Van Gundy on the call saying, it looks like Doc is just telling his guys, you guys put us in this mess. You're going to get out of it. Where if anyone's ever watched a game of basketball, (laughs) he goes goes on an insane run like that. The opposing coach always calls a timeout to stop the run, get his guys some juice, and run it back out there. But instead, Doc just let it happen. And it was clear that the Clippers were gassed. Dallas had all the momentum and as opposed to calling the timeout when you're down four, regrouping and trying to get back, you know, Dallas, they stretched the leads like nine, 10 points and the Clippers, they ultimately, you know, were able to claw the way back in, but instead of being down 10, had the Clippers, you know, regrouped and went on from there when they were down four, it could be a different story. So I, I feel like that's going to be something that gets slept on the end, you know, from everything that happened. But I, I thought that was an inexcusable uh, few minutes by doc. I mean, again, as I said, Normally they call a timeout. I just, mm-hmm. I just want to know what your thoughts are on, I guess, letting his guys, you know, you got us in this mess. You guys got to figure it out. Do you think that's a, a smart move on? Yeah. This? My general rule of thumb is when a streak hits double digits, that's an appropriate time to call timeout. And I think Dallas went on a 16 nothing run. So yeah. at that point, I mean, we've hit double digits. <laughs> I think there's time to call timeout. And like, obviously, you know, your guys got you into this mess. Like you should be able to get us out of it. Like, there's a reason your guys got you into this mess. Like something is not working. And if they're not able to figure it out, that's what your job is, is to help them figure it out. I just, I feel like Carlisle has just been consistently out coaching Rivers in this series where like anytime the Clippers get like a sliver of momentum, I feel like he's calling timeout. And I don't even know how he has that many left because the Clippers have had right. some really nice stretches in this series. But yeah, that was a very, very strange moment to me because like every single time the Clippers like took the ball out of the basket, I was like, okay, this is the time they're going to call timeout or this is the time they're going to call timeout. And I was confused more than anything because 
Doc usually has a good pulse on like what his team needs and to let like the Mavericks feel that kind of momentum. I don't, I don't know if there's like a different feel in the arena, you know, like when there aren't any fans and you can't actually like, feel the buzz, you know, from the stadium, but it seemed pretty clear to me that they should be calling timeout. And obviously like, I don't pretend to know <laughs> half as much as these guys know, right. but I, I didn't like that situation and you're right. Like it caused them to have to use a lot of effort in the fourth quarter just to come back from the deficit. And maybe they had, I mean, I don't think the Clippers really did anything wrong, you know, down the stretch. I think they executed just fine. And, you know, Luca just hit a really great shot and that happens, but they could have been in much better position had they not, you know, I think again, it was a 16, nothing run at that point that like, it's, it's inexcusable, right? Like, yeah. Are you taking the timeouts home with you? Like, I just don't understand. And that's the thing too. It's like everyone at home, like, you know, Van Gundy was saying it. It's like people on Twitter, like, what are we seeing that doc doesn't where like, again, basketball one-on-one, the team goes on a run. Like you said, usually like a 10 0 that's the time to kind of like call a timeout, but mm-hmm. it just seemed like they were hitting basket after basket. And you're thinking, okay, timeout. Okay. Timeout now. And it just never came. And like I said, as opposed to being when they were down four, it came when they were, I don't know, down nine or 10, whatever it was. Yeah. I think they were down eight. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the uh, the worst decision by Doc, which I guess uh, we Let's should. Let's hold for one second. Okay. We'll take a quick break and then come back to that. <laughs> All right. We're back talking Clippers Mavericks game four. And Blake is about to give us his worst Doc Rivers decision of the game. What do you got, Blake? Uh, yeah. So, you know, as we've seen throughout the bubble throughout his tenure with the Clippers Reggie Jackson is not an ideal defender mm-hmm. by no means is he the worst I've ever seen in, in, in the NBA but he's not good and Luka Doncic he knew this and <laughs> every time he got the ball especially it seemed like uh, late in the fourth quarter and over time he would do whatever it took to uh, get a switch and get Reggie Jackson on him well I want to get at this tweet from uh, Justin Russo who's a fantastic Clippers follow uh, on Twitter so First and foremost, Luca hits that game winner, um, hits it over Reggie Jackson. By the way, I don't know if you watched the full Doc press conference yet, but he actually said that he thought Reggie did a great job on Luca today defensively, which maybe sure. Doc, maybe he wasn't watching the same game we were. So maybe that's why he didn't call timeout. <laughs> maybe that's why. So um, as Justin said here, Lou Williams was on the Lou Williams was at the line with one of four left. Could have subbed out Reggie there. He doesn't. Timeout with 50 seconds left. And all this is all in um, overtime, by the way. Mm-hmm. Timeout with 50 seconds left. Could have gotten that, could have gotten him out there. He doesn't. Luca then comes down and scores on Reggie the very next possession. It was like a very easy layup. Timeout at nine seconds. Could have gotten him out. Nope. And then a timeout again with three seconds left. And he doesn't. So Doc in that final minute had four different chances to get Reggie out. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was like kind of like the Lou Will effect where lose kind of like a certified bucket on the offensive end where mm-hmm. you do take the risk defensively. Reggie, I, I get he made some threes, but offensively, I'm not trusting Reggie Jackson at all. So I, I don't understand wanting to keep him, you know, the offense, defense. So Doc has four chances to get Reggie off the court. He doesn't. And I, I again, I, I said this before we started recording. You said save it for the, for the podcast. <laughs> when there was three seconds left, I saw that play coming a mile away. I knew Luca would get the ball. And you somehow Reggie would end up on him. Now, again, I don't know how much more Reggie really could do because that was a tough shot by Luca to make. But I would rather have, I'd rather have an injured Pat Bev out there <laughs> on that final play than Reggie Jackson. And the switch happened. Reggie ended up on Luca, and Luca hit the game winner. 
I, I don't understand. And we've seen this so far this series. Doc, Doc has some allegiance to Reggie Jackson, whatever it may be, where regardless of what he's doing, he keeps men on the court. You know, I get he's knocked a few threes down here and there, but with just with how bad he's been defensively, the most important possession of the game, the most important possession of the game with three seconds left, and he, he keeps Reggie out there. And again, he defended it. He said Reggie's been was great for us today. He like he's like, Oh, we, we knew they'd switch and we anticipated that. And he, he let it happen. Yeah. I, I, I think it's inexcusable. Doc has had some questionable coaching calls this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had some questionable coaching decisions throughout his tenure as, as a head coach of the Clippers. But I, I think today, I mean, I'd have to probably really dive deep and try to remember all, some of his worst, you know, moments yeah. as a coach. But today, and, and again, the fact that everyone, I mean, people on Twitter, you can have any opinion you want. You could be an expert. You cannot be an expert. But everyone on twitter knew that that was an awful call everyone mm-hmm. I mean, you'll 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 find people split on all decisions but having reggie jackson in that game that final minute when luca was torching them i mean i'd have to go back and rewatch you know the overtime of the last, last fourth quarter but I, I think every luca basket reggie was guarding him it, it, it just seemed like certainly so, felt like that yeah yeah it felt like it What's, what's interesting is that Doc got Lou Williams out for that final possession. Like, he was aware that Lou Williams could have been targeted, and so he got him yeah. out put Shamit back in, um, which, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if Shamit's a great defender, but, like, he offers you a little bit more size than Lou does. Uh, yeah. So that, you know, that was an option. Maybe he just didn't have anybody else on the bench that he trusted, you know, to bring in for Reggie because, you know, Terrence Mann has played, what, all of, like, less than a minute, like, just a couple yeah. of garbage time possessions. Um, Amir Coffey, like, are you going to dust him off for that? Like I'm, I'm getting, you know, 2006 flashbacks of when Mike Dunleavy throws in like, you know, a cold, uh, was oh. it Daniel Ewing, you know, um, like I understand not wanting to throw in a defender who's like completely untested in that situation. But I also don't think you should ever put yourself in a position where you're relying on Reggie Jackson to make a key defensive, like stop. That's just right. never a position that you want to be in. And there, there just has to be a way around that, you know, like, Maybe you put Zubach in and then you just go a little bigger. Like if you're going to, I don't know if you're, if you're going to switch everything, I guess that's not ideal, but like put Jermichael in then, you know, yeah. like you can be a little bit bigger. That's not a problem. Uh, you know, Jermichael, Shamit, Kawhi, PG Morris, that seems like a perfectly fine defensive five for me. You know, like I don't, I don't see any weak links there really. Uh, so it was very strange to see Reggie on that play. I mean, my instinct is Luca is going to make that shot regardless, but Reggie doesn't really provide any resistance on that position. And at the very least, you want to make the offensive player beat you. You don't just want to, like, concede the play to Luca, which it felt like was what happened when you invited him to just attack Reggie Jackson. There was a play. Um, I, I don't know if it, like, made its way, you know, onto Twitter or anything. I, I think it was the fourth or third quarter where Luca crossed over Reggie, and Reggie flew back, like, 10 feet, and Luca drained the shot. And I, I remember my, my girlfriend said, what just happened? And I said, Reggie Jackson just happened. <laughs> I, I, again, maybe maybe it made its way on Twitter, but I feel like it just didn't blow up the way it did. But, I mean, he just, like a straight up, it was like the James Harden to a Wesley Johnson type thing. Mm. Back where, I mean, Reggie Jackson flew back like 10 feet as if he was like shot or something, and Luka just drained the three. So, I mean, it, I'll say this again. The Luka shot, I mean, that was a tough shot. Props him for making it. There's not a whole lot you can do. But, uh, as you said, there has to be some, like someone. I mean, there there has to be someone else that, that you could have done there, but 
dog off to Natsu because Reggie was having a great game defensively on Luka. Yeah, apparently. And it's weird because, you know, Doc had mentioned pregame that he was trying to avoid those small backcourts of, like, right. Reggie Sham, Lou Sham, Reggie Luka. I mean, sorry, Reggie Lou, uh, you know, because they would get exposed defensively. And yet, maybe because the Clippers couldn't get anything going offensively, they just resorted to that. But I think, you know, we're not going to understand that. So might yeah. as well move on from it. But uh, I will give Reggie some credit. I thought offensively he figured out his role a lot better today. He didn't do anything with the ball. He just shot, you know, and as a spot-up shooter, he's fine. So... That's like him. Really too with Reggie. It seems like the last few games where he'll have like a lapse on defense, mm-hmm. and then literally like a possession or two later, he's drained in the three, and it's like he's just evening it out. He's, it's weird because like yeah, offensively, I mean, what did he have? Let's see, I think he had like sixteen points today or something like, or fourteen points today, mm-hmm. or seven from three. Like you'll take that. Yeah, that's good. Hardly take that. It's just like it, you just have to know how to utilize him properly, yeah. and I I don't think that's what happened today. No. <laughs> But uh, I don't think Reggie deserves all of the blame for today's loss because there was a notable Clipper who failed to show up again. Um, Blake, I, I really like the piece you wrote about how it's not time to worry about Paul George yet. That was before this game. Yeah. And now I'm a little worried about Paul George. Uh, yeah. I know that like the amount of slander Paul George gets relative to his actual playoff production is just incredibly outsized. It's not deserved. I do think that there is a reasonable discussion to be had about how Paul George has performed as an Eastern Conference playoff performer versus in the Western Conference because there has been a significant divide to me over how good he was in Indiana versus how he played in Oklahoma City and now with the Clippers. This is the tougher conference. I I don't think that's an argument. Kawhi doesn't seem to care because he's Kawhi Leonard. He's a freaking Terminator. But uh, Paul George didn't have it again today. uh, He shot three of 14 from the field, one of seven from three. Uh, you know, only a couple turnovers, eight rebounds. So there were some nice things going on there. But what really stuck out to me with PG were there were a couple moments at, you know, in the third and fourth quarter where he had wide open threes and he just decided not to take them. Or he would, you know, step into a contested jumper or contested floater or just give the ball back up. And I worry about that confidence because if you're just going to be, you know, taking all the shots that are coming to you in the offense, taking them in rhythm and they don't go in, that's okay because I do believe those things will normalize. I'm starting to think it's in his head now. Yeah, no, you hit it perfectly. I, I remember, I mean, it seemed like there was, maybe it was the third quarter where he had a wide open three and he passed it up. He drove, I think he like kicked it out. And I, it's, it's not ideal having to miss shots continuously, mm-hmm. but if he's still, you know, hoisting up threes, hoping they go in, like that's something you'll live with because he still thinks he can get it done. But you're right. Like, I, I think it is at the point where it's in his head because you've seen that with players where if they miss like four or five in a row, normally mm-hmm. they're three-point shooters, you know, all of a sudden now they're hesitating, they're passing it, they're passing on wide open looks. And he he passed on, on a few of them. And there were times, and it wasn't just those, where there was something a little off compared to previous games where he did seem to be a little, a, a little more hesitant with the ball, mm-hmm. a little more hesitant in regards to shooting. Because like I said, if, if he's shooting 10 threes and he's still making one of them, so be it. But he still has the confidence to shoot those 10 threes. Once he started driving, kicking it out, and who knows what's going on in his head, that, that's when I kind of worry. And, you know, we saw what I, I had to pull this up with a minute and a half left in overtime. He missed like a pr- fairly easy layup. Right. He just bonked one right at the rim. Like that was I'm, stunning. That's when you normally, when it's something like that, it's in your head where you're thinking, I, 
something's up. And he makes that layup. All of a sudden, they go up three. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, a minute and a half left, and he doesn't. But it's not every day you see a player miss a layup. But with him, with what he's going through, missing such an easy one like that, I mean, that wasn't just a miss. That was – he was overthinking just a simple layup. And you're right, that, that, does, that does really worry me. It seemed like the Mavericks were perfectly happy having him take shots too. Like they were, you know, sending doubles towards Kawhi. They were trying to guard Lou Williams, which they could not do because Lou Williams is a god. But um, they seemed perfectly content to let possessions ride out with Paul George. They were inviting him to take shots. Exactly. And I mean, kudos to that defensive strategy because it appeared to work out for them. But I, to me, it seemed like at the start of the game, the Clippers were actually trying to feed Paul George and they got him going on actions toward the basket, which I think is what you need to do because... The jumper is just not working right now. And it, it doesn't make sense to me because Paul George has like one of the prettiest jump shots I've ever seen. It yeah. looks like it should go in all the time and it's just not. But uh, it seems like they're not running like the same set actions that they usually have for him. Like they, Doc Rivers talks about this like full Paul George package that he has and they're not using any of those sets. It's just like a ton of ISO ball for the Clippers. And that's not where Paul George excels. He's more of a system player than an ISO player. And it's not that he's a bad player. He's just not an isolation guy. And that's, perfectly fine you just have to use him in the optimum situations whereas you know Kawhi is fine isoing Lou is unbelievably good isoing right. you know but there just has to be a, a way to get him going that the Clippers haven't figured out yet and it's a little concerning because like you said Marcus Morris is the Clippers second best player I think through this series I like Marcus Morris as a player he should not be your second best player if you're a title yeah. contender he's a depth piece a really good depth piece but that is just a level a little bit above his pay grade. I, I had to look this up right here just because I saw that Paul George today, he only attempted two free throws as well. I mean, you would think, I mean, it seems like Dallas has also been just, they're constantly like in foul trouble. Yeah. Paul George, like nothing, I mean, coaches say this all the time. Sometimes all you need to do, you just need to see a free throw go in. Mm -hmm. If you just make a free throw, maybe that'll change everything. Paul George, only had, had two free throws so he's not even you know trying to attack be aggressive he's it's I, I just I, I just don't get it because as you said he has one of the prettiest jump shots and the fact that for the last three games he like he can't buy one he, he, actually, he cannot purchase one it's not available for purchase so uh, you would think if, if the jump shot's not falling get to the line let me you know get get to the line 10 times let me see it go through um but it again for whatever reason it's just and I know he's not going to come out and admit it. He's not going to say, like, in this post game, yeah, you know, to be honest, it's, it, I'm in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, my confidence is shot. He's not going to say that. He's going right, to say you that. can't say that. <laughs> but, like, you kind of wish he could just be like, <laughs> just come out and say, listen, yeah, I don't got it. I, I don't feel good out there. But, you know, he won't. He'll just say shots aren't falling. Yeah. But at, at some point, you're not just this unlucky. You don't go three games and you're – I don't have what it, what the three games are, but mm -hmm. I don't know, like nine for 40. I think like 28% or something in these three games. So it's, it's not good. It's yeah. really not good. Yeah. Um, and I think he did say something to the effect of like, you know, next game, I'm going to try to, you know, set up shop closer to the rim, you know, work out of the post a little bit because like the perimeter game is not working. That, I mean, that seems all good, but like, are you, are you taking possessions away from Kawhi Leonard by doing that? Like that's, that's not a good idea. <laughs> Kawhi Leonard right. has been fantastic this entire series. Like, like it's been, you're supposed to be a second banana. You're not supposed to be running the offense here. 
Like, I, I feel like, you know, especially last year with his run with Toronto, I, mm-hmm. I just didn't appreciate it as much. But watching this Leonard these first four games, it's a, like, his offensive game has just been so slept on. Where <laughs> you've just always thought of him as a defender and he's, like, up the scoring a bit. But with how, with how much he's improved his game, I mean, it's at the point now where, like, I, I still think Chris Paul is probably, like, the best in the NBA at the mid-range shot. But it's at the point now where Kawhi – you know, if he's mid-range or so, I'm like, this is this is a guarantee. This is a yeah. lot. And he can get to that spot anytime he wants. Like, Maxi Clevo can't stop him from getting there. Dorian uh-huh. Finney-Smith can't stop him from getting there. Michael K. Gilchrist can't stop him from getting there. Like, if Kawhi wants to get to that spot, I think he just – he was short a little bit on one mid-ranger at the end of overtime, which is ended up being kind of pivotal. But, um, yeah, I, I have no complaints about Kawhi. <laughs> uh, maybe the only thing I can say is that the Clippers are letting him get switched off of Luka a little too easily. But – that seems to me more of a schematic thing than it is anything that Leonard's doing. Uh, I also have no complaints about Lou Williams, who once again was just like, he reminded me of 2018, 19 Lou Williams, where he would just go on these ridiculous fourth quarter runs and keep the Clippers in games. They had no business being in um, unstoppable. There was no one who could keep Lou Williams away from the basket. He just has such crafty finishes like that one play where he took the ball away from Luca, even after he missed a shot and then went back up. Like, that, that guy's just really good. Like, I, I don't no, no No more Lou Will, like, playoff slander. Yeah. Like, be getting here and there. Because, I mean, for the, like, people remember the games he doesn't show up. But then, I mean, how many guys can you have come off the bench? And what, he had 36 today? 36 points. Like, 13 of 20 shooting. He had five assists, like, four rebounds. I mean, he was, he was fantastic. And he just it, – it's just amazing. Just it, it was some of these plays just – he makes these guys look like they're rookies out there. <laughs> they look so silly trying to defend him. <laughs> and then, you know, he, get, he gets, gets to the basket with ease. And why, so he's probably like, it's the weirdest thing, but watching him like make a layup, I think is one of the, like, the prettiest things. Like he just, it, it's weird, but he looks so good making layups. He just makes it look so easy. And the, yeah, I mean, the Clippers, Kawhi was great and all, but the Clippers, they wouldn't have been in the game. They wouldn't have come back if it wasn't for Lou Williams because he had so many just buckets where he kind of was inching them back in. And, uh, I mean, again, 36 off the bench. I mean, that that's fantastic. What, what a game from him. Yeah, I, I'm really glad you brought up the playoff thing because Lou had, you know, a couple stinkers on his resume before getting to the Clippers. But ever since he's gotten here, he's been a stone-cold killer in the playoffs. Like that 31-point yeah. come, yeah, come back against uh, Golden State last year. Yeah. The other game they won at Oracle last year uh, – this year he's he's been really good and I just I don't have enough good things to say about Lou Williams because like the Clippers just look more like themselves when he's getting things going you know they had they looked really stagnant in the third quarter their offense just wasn't working I honestly thought the problem was that they couldn't stop Dallas but one thing I will credit Doc for he kind of picked up on the fact that they just weren't scoring and you get Lou Will there and the offense starts working right it just right they just feel like the Clippers team I am familiar with, you know, when Lou is cooking and he was great. Um, unfortunately, uh, not good enough, apparently, because 2-2 series going into Tuesday and uh, just, again, not the position I expected this team to be in. Yeah, I mean, when you're, when you're getting, what, 68 points from Kawhi and Lou Will, I feel like any day you'd say, oh, I will take that for the I'll, I'll I mean, I'm sure Paul that. George had like 20, right? <laughs> That's I and mean, that's the crazy thing too, where it's just they're every game they're getting production, whether it's from Shamit, you know, in, in game what was it game three? I'm I'm already losing track. Yeah, Shamit in game three. Game three, 
injury. You know, Zubak has been has been great. Morris, he's had stretches. Jermichael Green, I think it was game one where he was like fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're getting just production from everywhere. It's just the the Paul George. I, I've said this before. The Clippers they can win with Paul George not scoring. If but as long as he's getting you know ten rebounds, five assists, they can win. If Paul George is scoring twenty five thirty a game, the they're Clippers unbeatable. I think practically unstoppable. Yeah. It's just again the fact that they. They haven't gotten it. If Paul George finishes this game with 18 points, Clippers likely win. And that's only with scoring 18. Like, you, you still want him to be given 20, 25, 30 points a game. But it's – you can't get it from everyone, unfortunately. And the guy yeah. that you essentially traded so much for – now, again, yeah. it was part of the Kawhi trade, but it's right. like – Paul George, like, your name is on this massive trade that went down. Mm-hmm. And side game one, he, he's just been brutal. It is hard to watch Shea Gilgis Alexander oh. ball out for OKC, knowing what we know. Uh, but I mean, I, I do think it's interesting that I think we've gotten this whole like 30 plus minutes without even mentioning Kristaps Porzingis. Um, right. The Clippers didn't get any production from their second star. The Dallas Mavericks didn't actually have their second star. And they still managed to do this. Um, like, so random. I, uh, I don't think. Uh, I just think it's important we give Dallas a lot of credit because I think Carlisle has been coaching a hell of a series. Uh, they just, yeah. those little guards, uh, Trey Burke and Seth Curry are just giving the Clippers fits all of the time. Seth Curry just doesn't seem to miss at all. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's happening there. He's just really excited to play his father-in-law or something, but right. 30th birthday for Seth Curry today. Uh, just had a great old time <laughs> playing basketball today. Trey Burke has been awesome. Um, like, you know, they're getting really good minutes out of Boban, uh, the, they go to their bench and like they had a real weird stretch during the second quarter today where JJ Barea came in for some weird reason and then he was just I, terrible so they got him back out immediately. I was like, I knew that he was still on the team like because I've seen him on the bench, but I was like, JJ Barea is getting playoff minutes in 2020. <laughs> I felt like back on that in that Dallas run like you know nine ten years ago. I like, right. I think he was like not old, but I feel like he was kind of like a veteran. Older, that- yeah. No, like he's only 36. It's crazy. It just feels weird seeing JJ Barea out there in 2020. Like that that was my takeaway from the day. JJ Barea is still out there playing playoff basketball. Yeah, but I mean that every button that Dallas is pushing seems to be working, right? Like they go small and they just run all over the Clippers and they go big and they pummel them inside. And uh, I mean, that, that, even that, these like defensive liabilities they're throwing out there because like we talk about Trey, we talk about Seth Curry. I don't think they're good defenders. No. They're staying with Paul George and staying they, they look you know, good on defense and I, yeah. I on the broadcast they were like they were saying Dallas who you know for the most part this year was not a good defensive team mm-hmm. they're doing a really good job you know on these guys I mean they're looking they're looking good out there so, <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know if Seth Curry Trey Brown I don't know what their defensive metrics are or anything right. like that. I don't think that they're that good but they're they're locking them down but I I just got to say Seth Curry Trey Burke I mean, those two guys have been I – mean, anytime they miss, I'm like, wow. Yeah. They missed a shot. I mean, they've been – they've both been so good for, for Dallas. Because I think when we did, like, our, our series preview, mm-hmm. like, my question was, aside from, like, Luca and Porzingis, who, like, who are you going to be getting the 15 out of 20 that you need from some of these guys? And mm-hmm. they've, they've stepped up. They've answered my question. Trey Burke's 25 points a day. That's, that's like, absurd to me. Like, this guy was not signed heading into the NBA restart. Like the, the Mavericks picked him up as a buyout guy on July yeah. 1st because their other point guard, Jalen Brunson, was hurt and was not going to be able to play in the bubble. This is wild to me. 
Yeah. And you, you wouldn't think about looking at him. You think he's a guy that's been on the team for years who mm-hmm. averages 15 points a game. And that's not the case for Trey Burke because, as you said, he wasn't on a team. And now he's lighting up the Clippers. Yeah, the Mavericks have this way of just getting really small guards to play at their best. Uh, I don't know how Rick Carlisle does it just year in and year out. Yeah. You put them anywhere else and they don't quite work outside of that system. Like I think J.J. Barea had this like tiny stretch in Minnesota where he just looked like the worst player in the NBA and then he came back to Dallas. It's like, oh, everything's good again. But credit to Dallas, their game plan is working. Uh, they have the Clippers doubting themselves, I think, a little bit. Um, Doc Rivers said today that he didn't think his team was mentally tough. He thought they were mentally weak. And this is a group that has known all season that it has wanted to be in this position competing for an NBA title. I don't know how you cannot be ready for this moment. I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, in, coming into the series, I mean, they all year, the, the reason why I, the reason why I said Clippers in five was just because in the regular season, they swept them three overs at four. And I keep three, yeah. with four, four, no. And I was like, I, I just don't think they can go seven zero against them in the year. They have mm-hmm. to lose one, but I mean, in the, it's amazing. In the regular season, it just looked like the Clippers were just such a good match where Dallas had no answer. And it just seemed like, okay, as long as Luka doesn't score 30, then you're really in the clear. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show this bubble. It's anything can happen in this bubble. If there was home court advantage, you know, how would this, how would this be? I, I'm not exactly sure, but Dallas, I mean, again, I said this earlier, they have the confidence. They think now it's, it's only a best of three series. All we got to do is win two out of three. And that's, it's a really scary thing for the Clippers because I don't, I don't know if Porzingis is going to be back for game five, but mm-hmm. the fact they did this without Porzingis, that, that, that worries me. Unreal. Um, like, I do know that the Clippers are 21 and three after a loss this season. So okay, I so feel good about their ability to not lose back to back games. Uh, right. But you know, I have, I have concerns. I did not think I would have concerns during this series. I thought even if it got into a shootout, the Clippers just had more guns and maybe they don't. I mean, and everyone on, everyone on Dallas, it seems like has the clutch gene. It's not just yeah, Luke, it's everyone on Dallas is, what was it Hardaway? He pulled, he was pulling up. He was making every shot. Yeah. You know, Curry's making every shot. It's, this is a confident Dallas team, mm-hmm. which it's fine to have a confident Dallas team if you're up 3-1 and Dallas is going, you know, we feel like we've been in every game. Right. We like we win three games in a row. That's mm-hmm. all fine and dandy. But again, this is now a best of three series where literally – There is no home court, like you said. And anything can happen. I mean, anything can happen. As I said earlier as well, I think Dallas has been the better team for 70 75% of the series. Yeah, well, uh, my hope is that the Clippers realize, you know, once again, like sort of – like that gap between game two and three, just a couple of little things that they can hone in on and fix because uh, that back and forth thing works in the Clippers' favor, right? Even if it goes seven games, they won the first game. So they, they can afford for the series to have that uh, tenor. But I just have more faith in Rick Carlisle right now than I do in Doc Rivers to make the necessary adjustments to win games in this series. And it's not pleasant. <laughs> no, it's... I was just trying to think now, with uh, with the exception of Carlisle and like JJ Barea, mm-hmm. I mean, d- does anyone on this Dallas team like have much? What, I mean, I don't think Porzingis wasn't there. I don't think when no, the, Knicks the only um, player who had no. played in the playoffs before in their starting lineup was Tim Hardaway back when he was in Atlanta, I think. Oh, okay. Actually, maybe I'm actually, I might even be mistaken that, but Seth Curry was in the Western Conference Finals last year, but he's a bench okay, player. Portland, yeah, but yeah. He, yeah. 
So, I mean, yeah, aside from that, you know, this is just a fresh. This is a new like, team. <laughs> okay, maybe since it is like the bubble, so that it, this maybe seems like it's like preseason type thing, but mm-hmm. they have no playoff experience really every, anywhere. And again, they look like the better, the more experienced team, which, you know, you, I mean, the, the Dallas is in a normal seven seed, so I'll give them that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like I mean if they were to win this series like yes it would be an upset mm-hmm. but you know historically this is like the best offensive team in NBA history mm-hmm. so most years they wouldn't be you know a seven team they were only like what three or four games back of being like a three seed for crying right. out loud so it's it's tough to really sleep on this team because they're better than which what a lot of people give them credit for it's not like you're in the Eastern Conference and you get the uh, what is it who the the Brooklyn Nets or the, the Orlando Brooklyn Magic Nets, the Orlando Magic like. I will gladly take the Brooklyn Nets or the Orlando Magic yeah. in my first round playoff series, please. Like, not Dallas. And then, so it's, like, again, props to Dallas. I mean, they're, they're a good team. It's just. Yeah, and they're, they're better than I thought they were. They have uh, put together uh, a better game plan than I anticipated, and they've just exploited Clippers' weaknesses that I wasn't even sure were actually there. <laughs> so. Also, like, is Luke, like, what is Luca going to be like in three or four years if he so-called hits his prime? Because it's, this is already pretty it's crazy. terrifying. I remember people saying that like, oh, well, we don't expect Luca to get that much better because he's already been playing professionally and like, you know, where is there to go from here? It's like, who cares where there is to go from here? He was the MVP of the second best league in the world. <laughs> yeah, when he was <laughs> like... he doesn't get that much better. When he was like 16, 17, 18, he was like a teenager and he was the MVPs. Yeah, I'm upset just... too because I wanted the Clippers to try to trade up last year to get him in the draft. Mm. I knew they wouldn't, but I was like, well, maybe they'll trade up and get like the, you know, third or fourth. I think the Clippers have to be pretty happy with how last year's draft was. <laughs> Jerome Robinson. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I can't imagine that this is a fun series for Phoenix or Sacramento or Atlanta executives or fans to be watching because, Lordy, you, you screwed up. You screwed up big time. I mean, I guess Atlanta, the one bright side is they do have Trey Young that they got. He's no Luca. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's no Luca. I'd feel a lot worse if I was Sacramento. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I guess with Phoenix, Aiden, he has kind of – I mean, Aiden's been pretty good. But I like Aiden a lot. I just the, think that you would rather have a perimeter guy than a center. Like Luca with Devin Booker. Like, oh, that's – and the fact that they, they had Luca's former coach in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. I, I don't even want to do this again. <laughs> Like Phoenix, man, that – I mean, da- Dallas, especially now having Porzingis, they are set up for – which, by the way, the fact they got I, – I remember they got Porzingis, they got Hardaway. I, who, did, who did they give up to New York in that they deal? They gave up two first-round picks, I think, and, like, Dennis Smith Jr. Oh, my goodness. Like, what – What a disaster Dennis Smith's NBA career has been. Um, but anyway – Let's uh, let's bring it back to the Clippers for a second. We got game right. five on Tuesday. Do you got a prediction for me, Blake? I well, my 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 prediction is is that the Clippers come out with you know a hungry mindset. Paul George uh, shows that he is the player that he says he is. Playoff P, and he gives him thirty, and the Clippers win by ten points. That's my prediction. That's what I've expected every game this season. <laughs> Will that happen? I, I'm not exactly sure, but again, the Clippers are the better team. Uh, they have, you know, still in my opinion, like you said, the best player in Kawhi Leonard. At some point, Paul George has to hit a shot. He's like, based off percentages, he has to be due. So uh, I'm just going to say that it goes the Clippers way and I'm going to give them like an eight, 10 point victory on Tuesday. 
I think that is a very reasonable way of looking at game five. And uh, for Paul George's sake, I hope that works out. <laughs> it, it, if he has another dud, I mean, I, at oh, this point, first I, round I, picks that Oklahoma City has. <laughs> <laughs> and Shay. All right. Well, that has been the Clips Nation podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. We are on iTunes and Spotify. So make sure you subscribe and listen to our show. We should be coming out twice a week during the postseason. So thank you all for listening and take care. Bye.